Good evening everyone, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Welcome to episode 25 of Merchants of Novigrad, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything Gwent. Today with me, my two partners in crime, Hesser Tavern, and for the first time in a while, Villa. And as you guys can see, once again we have a very special guest, the Skellige Faction Ambassador and the official Tournament Caster slash Analyst, Shin Miri. What's going on, guys? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey guys. Before we get uh, into it, as always, a couple of a couple of words to our viewers. Guys, if you have any questions, either for us or our guest, you can ask them in chat. Because as usual, Hesser has been charged with the task of collecting the more interesting ones. And we're gonna try to answer them as we go. Also, if you wanna stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast. And if you'd rather watch this episode episode later it's gonna be uploaded onto a variety of platforms including youtube and spotify either tomorrow or sunday and with that being said let's start with the very first segment of our show what have you been up to a very simple light-hearted question guys what have you been up to what have you been doing as of late should i go first yeah let's start <laughs> right. with our guest shimiri go okay. first um, I mean, I, it's been the holiday season. We usually travel during the holiday. By we, I mean me and my wife. But obviously this year with uh, COVID, we haven't been doing that. We've just been staying home. But we have been taking time to like enjoy nature. Usually like once a week, uh, we will go out and um, go to a park or go to like a waterfall hike or something and just like take some time outside and sit while, while staying safe. So that's nice. And then when it comes to gaming, we've been playing we've been playing some online board games with friends, um, which is fun. And then uh, we've been doing I've been playing a lot of Gwent. I've been streaming Gwent. I actually have a pretty nice uh, MMR score this season. And yeah, uh, I actually also plan on um, doing a variety game on stream as well. We just had a vote the other day. And Dark Souls 3 won as the next game that I'm going to be playing on stream. Usually it'll be probably like a few hours of Gwent and then a few hours of, of Dark Souls 3. So oh, I'm looking forward to it. That's interesting because uh, I, I have a hard time imagine, imagining you playing a game like that. It's, you know, a very fast-paced combat. Uh-huh. I know a lot of people say that. A lot of people say it's, it's uh, unbelievable. But I've, I've done quite a few. I've played like Hollow Knight, I've played Sekiro, both like really difficult real-time games and had a lot of fun with those. I'm actually like, not to toot my own horn, I feel like I'm a pretty good gamer when it comes to like all different sorts of games, not just like slow strategic games in which you can rope. So yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We actually have a question about that later in the episode. But what about you guys, Hesser and Villa? What have you been doing? Oh, I was pretty much uh, doing the same stuff, just like Shin Mary. We were enjoying the holidays with my wife. Uh, traveling is unfortunately banned in Europe, so we were just we moved to to Warsaw for a while, uh, just to check out the illumination in that city because it was pretty glorious, uh, from what we've heard before. And um, and yeah, we've been playing some single player games as well. Had a little break from from card games or some any, any other multiplayer games. So I've been enjoying some Cyberpunk, uh, Death Stranding, because that was on, on my pile of shame. So I had to play that during the holidays. And yeah, basically just enjoying the free time we've had, because right now we started uh, the new groups in our school. 
So we have a lot of students uh, mainly learning Polish. Everybody just right with the lockdown coming to an end in Poland. Everyone wants to learn Polish again. All those immigrants who came before last year. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of work probably until the late spring, I think. That's that that sounds like, like a busy period for you. Uh, and, and what about your tech issues? Because we, we did hear something about that. Oh, yeah, I, I had some surprising tech issues, actually, with my SSD. I don't really know what happened with that. But, you know, at some point it just stopped working. The, the system was going really slow. And I returned the PC to steal. Uh, um, I was able, you know, to get it back to the store. And they, they kind of fixed it. It looks all right. I just received the PC back today. I've been testing it the whole day. And yeah, so far so good. I hope it's gonna stay that way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue talking to you guys today. But you never know. Yeah, you know the the curse of Nevergrad. Just, just hardware going bonkers for whatever reason, and nobody knows what's happening. Why it's happening? <laughs> yeah, we, we we've had that problems before. Villa, my intoxicated friend. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, like the other dude, I've just spent the holiday season just chilling, not really doing much. Uh, been getting back to Gwent more hardcore, I guess, this season. Uh, you know, get ready for the next season, and yeah, been chilling, nothing much. Uh, trying to stay away from the cold <laughs> because it is fucking freezing out there, and that's about it. Speaking of which, do you guys have snow? Because yes, that seems to be uh, the major topic on Twitch right now. Everyone just asking themselves, guys, do you, do, you, do you have snow? Do you have snow? Is it snowing right there? We finally do in Poland. It started snowing like two days ago, I think. So last year we had like no snow whatsoever during the whole winter in the city I'm in. And nowadays we can enjoy the pretty winter city. It's been something I was looking forward to. It's I, cool. I haven't seen snow in a couple of years. And I think Shinmiri is uh, in the same boat. I don't think Seattle I... is a very snowy city. No, it's not. I, I, uh, I was going to say Seattle rains a lot, but it doesn't snow very much. It usually only snows like once a year. And sometimes it's like when it, that one time per year, sometimes it'll just melt before you wake up and you have known that it snowed. But yeah, yeah. it's pretty mild here. I, I like it. I like the weather here. I used to live in Chicago, and it snowed like all the time, like like half of the year during Chicago in Chicago. But um, I like it here better for the weather. It's cooler in the summer, warmer in the winter. It just it's a little bit rainy slash cloudy. Yeah, sounds sounds like Holland. Mm -hmm. We we have a very similar climate. A lot of rain, foggy, um, not too warm, not too cold. But yeah, I always complain that I haven't seen snow since, I think, November 2018. It's been mm. a while. It's overdue. Oh, wow. But anyway, guys, um, I, think, I think we are supposed to talk about Gwent. Uh, at the same time, there is a lot of things happening and not too many things happening. So let's start with that. Let's start with the, um, with the announcement. There is no balance patch at the end of the season. And my question to all of you is, are you guys surprised? 
despite the fact that we are not getting any balance changes whatsoever this month. Uh, for me, I'm not that surprised. I think like in the past year or two, the January patch is always really small or even non-existent. And that's usually because like their uh, CDPR employees are all on vacation at the end of December, so they don't really have time to make adjustments. And if they were to make any adjustments, they would have had to like lock them in by a few days after the Way of the Witcher expansion. So it's just like they don't have enough time to gather data or, or, or test things. So I'm not really surprised. I, I think that most people could expect this if you're, if you're really looking at the pattern from the past few years. Yeah, of course, unlike, unless you are a new player who doesn't know what happened last year or two years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. You might be a little bit surprised. Villa Hesser, um similar situation? Similar yeah, feelings yeah, or like that I I I've been around since like twenty seventeen and I I don't think during that time frame there's ever been like a big patch after December. I, I so you know, it doesn't really shock me because it's you know, like Shin said, basically. Holidays for the employees, and they don't have time to do all of this stuff. So it is what it is. It's a bit sad, but yeah, it's understandable. I, yeah, like I was you... actually surprised with, with people being surprised with no content because this is what's been <laughs> happening for a while right now. And uh, yeah, it's obvious that, you know, especially after the hot season of the release of Cyberpunk as well, I can imagine that the whole company just wanted to, you know, have some rest and just go away for a while before coming back to work on all the projects they have. So that's understandable. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I, I feel, I feel like a lot of others people, other people do are just maybe slightly disappointed that they didn't touch anything, but it, it's very, it, it's understandable. Like you can expect that as Shimiri already said, you know, they either didn't have the data or didn't have enough time to, uh, you know, evaluate it or, or, or test, uh, test the uh, new new solutions. Um, but I would like to follow up on this and, and ask you guys about the way it was announced because like considering how many new players there are, right? Uh, 2020 is the year uh, Gwent released on mobile and it's also the year we got our first journeys, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it wasn't really announced. It was a random reply to a tweet and that is something that somehow did upset me. That it wasn't right. just announced, you know, earlier, like a couple of weeks before the patch. Guys, remember, it's the holiday season. There's not going to be a balance patch at the end of the month. And from what I gather, a lot of people just didn't know about that. Yeah, um, I don't personally mind the timing of the announcement that much. Um, but I also, I, I'm with you. I agree with you that, like, the first that we hear about it is in a reply uh, on Twitter is kind of hard to find. Um, I would have liked it to see it like on the Plaguement website or in the game uh, client or something like that, or uh, or even just like an official Plaguement tweet. Mm. Um, so with the timing, I, I don't know if I would have wanted to know for certain that there was going to be no balance changes like weeks in advance because I feel like. News like that is different people take it different ways, but it can be very demotivating and it can cause you to like not want to play because you feel like there's not going to be any 
new stuff coming for a while. So I can definitely understand from both a player perspective and a developer perspective not to want to give that information out too soon. While I uh, agree with you, you also have to remember that you have content creators who like to plan things ahead. For example, a podcast episode. So not knowing this in advance was a little bit problematic for us. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's difficult. You have to like take into account all the different perspectives and it's not just uh it's not very straightforward on what the best decision is for everyone yeah i, I exchanged a couple of, of, of tweets with pavo uh, about that and it seems they they will try to uh you know take that into account next year but um they also they also uh postponed the smaller patch 8.1 you're actually getting some stuff in it and i know that it's going to sound like a conspiracy theory or you know maybe wishful thinking at best but considering this delayed patch do you guys think that the devs might actually squeeze in some balance changes after all no no <laughs> i don't think so i wouldn't no. get our hopes up no um I don't think it's realistic to expect them to do anything like that um I mean, of course, it's it's only a week, so uh, that sounds rather unlikely. But still, I had to ask. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I would imagine that, like, all of their efforts are focused on getting this bug fixed as soon as possible, whatever it is, and then like shipping out the patch, right? Like, I don't think they're gonna try to devote more time and drag it out longer mm. to squeeze in additional balance changes that weren't originally planned. Yeah, absolutely, because we actually learned today that uh, the journey as well is being postponed, so uh, it seems like the bug really has broken the game. Hmm. Uh, I didn't hear that about the journey. Yeah, what do was, you mean it's been postponed? Um, uh, it, it was the, new in... journey, the new journey is delayed by a week. Oh, okay. So, so when was... is it supposed to come out? Uh, it was supposed to come out, I think, February 1st, and now it's February 8th. Oh, okay. I mean, huh. a lot of people were saying it's not the first time they are doing that with the journey. But, you know, considering how, um, how impactful this bug um, they were talking about is, it wouldn't surprise me if it also had an effect on the journey. Maybe. Um, February 8th is supposed to be the start of the next season. Not, not the upcoming season, not the first competitive month, but I think it's supposed to be the start of the second competitive month. So I, I think they it's might... a league, by the way. No, I think that that's. I think they mentioned this already. Mm. Uh, Vlad mentioned it on Twitter in another reply. I'm not. I'm not following following every reply, so that, yeah. that's why I haven't heard about that. Yeah, that's that's another that's another example of like just yeah. information that could be a little yeah. bit better communicated, right? But yeah, so people were asking about how long the first competitive season is going to be because of this delay. And Vlad said it will be, so people thought it might have been like only two weeks long, and that would be like really, really short. But Vlad said it's going to be three weeks, and that the, the, it's going to last until February 8th. Hmm. No. All right. So we actually learned something today. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Yeah, but, you know, um, we are not getting probably any balance, as we mentioned before, but uh, we are getting a new card. And uh, do you think it will see play? That's something that was kind of unexpected, actually, for me. And we are getting that right before the competitive season. Uh, it 
I don't know. For for me, it doesn't look that competitive. I'm not sure if it's going to shake the meta that much and it's going to affect, for example, the deck building for the pro players. But uh, have you tried the aircrafting with that card? And how does it look in, in your eyes, guys? Yeah, uh, Shimiri, what do you think about it? Yeah, let's start with Shimiri, and then we're gonna, we're gonna go to Villa. Okay, um, yes, I have taken a look at the card. For anybody who doesn't know, it's uh, Madoc, a Witcher, 3 base strength, 10 provisions, and it's like a bomb synergy card. Yeah. It's like a Flying Redanian, but for bombs. Every time you play a bomb, it will come out of your deck or your graveyard. And it also has a, an order ability to destroy itself and deal 3 random damage. Uh, to the opposite row, kind of like uh, it. Well, technically, it does the what is it, Ragnarug Cataclysm? Yeah, effect the Cataclysm that mm -hmm, yeah. nobody have, has ever seen in this game for <laughs> a year and a half or so. Um, but, anyways, I think the card is probably going to be not very competitive, mm -hmm. mainly because the bombs in the game suck. So it's like <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a good card. If bombs were good, I think Madoc would be good. But bombs are really bad. Um, and I was looking at it, and I think the only viable deck that, might, that it might work in is like something like Scoia'tael No Unit Control. Um, Scoia'tael has extra bombs because of making a bomb from the newest expansion, which is actually a decent card. It's, a, it's better than a lot of people thought it was going to be, making a bomb. Yeah, and... we, we actually know something about that because we revealed it on this very podcast. <laughs> and the yeah. chat was not very happy. <laughs> we were not happy either. Hey, yeah, we... I, I'm playing it in my no unit ST. It's actually pretty good. It's, it's not a unit, it's removal. And it's pretty, it's a four for four removal. It's kind of like, it's a worse version of Gutting Slash, yeah. I'd say. But it's still four provisions. And four provision cards, you usually can find some use for a lot of four provision cards because they are the cheapest cards available and it gives you removal it's, um it's use it's usually good removal early in a round when they don't have that many units right but anyways uh, about madoc i think you there's not enough good bombs to make use of him but if bombs were ever buffed or new bombs are introduced i think he could become pretty good um I think that a lot of people are worried that if Madoc starts to see play, all you're gonna see is Amnesty and Swears. Because oh. Madoc is three power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I was watching McBeer the other day, and, and he seemed very positive about the card, until he started looking at the bombs, and he realized that we have Northern Wind that banishes. So, Madoc versus Madoc, somebody can just play Northern Wind, banish the other Madoc, and get your own Madoc out. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I don't I don't agree that Amnesty Squeers is gonna be like super popular as a counter to Madoc. Because I mean Lippy is super popular right now and Amnesty Squeers is amazing versus Lippy, but you don't see any Amnesty Squeers in the meta. So I I don't think like um Madoc is going to push that over the line. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. I, I don't think Madoc is going to be worth playing for the most part, so I don't think it's going to be very impactful to the meta next month. Yeah, it's a very theoretical scenario. Like, if mm -hmm. Madoc gets popular, then maybe Amnesty could get popular, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and Villa, what about you? How do you feel about Madoc as a professional player? Yeah, I mean, pretty much like all 
Shin's thoughts. Like, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there will be people who try it out with like <laughs> Dragon Stream or something, but yeah, I don't think this card is ever, or well, not ever. This card is definitely not good right now, and I don't think it's something. It, it's not even do. good with Dragon Stream. It has yeah, like anti synergy yeah, with Dragon it is, Stream. <laughs> it is as well, yeah, but I'm sure there will be some memes there, to try it out. Like, there's gonna be, I'm calling it now, there's gonna be a Dandelion clip show where. Uh, <laughs> Where somebody overwrites their own dragon stream yeah, yeah. with the cataclysm <laughs> of order ability of Madoc. And, and I can tell you, now that you said it, yeah. I can totally see a clip being made out of this and preceding the actual play on Dandelion's show. Just Shamir <laughs> explaining what's going to happen and it's actually <laughs> happening. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, sure. I would actually correct you on one thing, because you said that nobody has seen Ragnarok in like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. You can see it in certain seasonal modes, when you can play uh, a special card, card twice. Ah, uh, yeah. That's, that's where Cataclysm actually sees some play. Mm -hmm. That's true. I don't play much seasonal mode, so... I only play seasonal mode when my chat forces me to, with <laughs> oh, channel points. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, play, you playing Balu Rash is just a piece of art. It's, it's a thing <laughs> of beauty. Okay, Hesser, what else do we have in stock? Yeah, we are actually mentioning that one, right? So um, we have to, we'll have to wait a little bit longer before we see Maddox in action. I think, you know, a lot of people will have some fun with that because that's another card to play around with. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to try it out, I think. And it looks like CDPR is trying to push some bumps, um, synergies as well. You know, every, every expansion we are getting some sort of bumps, I think, almost, probably. And uh, I think it, they have maybe some major plan for that but we'll have to see a bit longer to see if it happens i, I sure would hope so if they print a card like this <laughs> like it's just, yeah it's right just kind of collecting dust in the collection if, if they don't do anything <laughs> yeah about i i also hope that bombs are not just the you know the placeholder mm. and the fillers in every expansion but you never know you never know but yeah um speaking of the bug we mentioned before, right? The game ranking bug, uh, because of which they moved uh, the journey and they moved the patch as well. Um, do you have like any idea what what sort of bug that might be? I honestly have no clue, but it seems to be pretty significant as like bugs that have popped up last minute in the in the history of Gwent. I feel like they've been able to deal with and squash pretty quickly. Yeah. Um. I feel like this week-long delay is one of the longest we've had to suffer because of some uh, unpredictable bug. But yeah, yeah I have no, no clue. It's like also weird that nobody actually found out anything about that bug, right? It's still waiting somewhere to be discovered mm -hmm. and to abused. Well, it could be a bug with a new build that's oh, not yeah. on the live client. That's what oh, I assumed. Yeah. I mean, because if, if the bug was around right now, then it seems like they could just release it. Nobody even knows it's there, so... <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the best reaction to that was actually Ryan sending, sending Molijin a message, like, what, have your, what has your new card done to the game, man? Mm -hmm. mm. But, uh, okay, the, the patch, the patch is, is being delayed. We all know about that. We already talked about that. Um, so... Let's talk about the expansion because we are only a month into Way of the Witcher. 
uh, I think it's enough time to actually evaluate it and compare it to the previous expansions. So, uh, how would you rate it compared to the previous content updates? Are, are you happy with the new tools that each faction has been given? Are you happy with the archetypes that have been strengthened by, by this expansion? For me, I, I liked this expansion. I think it was pretty good and it, it was pretty significant considering that it was only 70 cards. So it's like one of the smallest expansions that Gwent has gotten. Um, I have some things that I dislike, but I think in general it was a pretty successful expansion. Uh, we got to see some new archetypes in different factions. We got to see some old archetypes buffed specifically in Nilfgaard. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm having fun in Gwent right now. I think the only, my major complaint is that with this expansion, uh, matchups in general have gotten a little bit more extreme. So I think, like, whereas common matchups might have been like 60 40 for a favored deck before, now is closer to like 70 30. And I, I hope it doesn't like go too far because I'd, I don't want to queue into a matchup and feel hopeless and feel like no matter what I do, that I'm probably going to lose because I just had a bad queue roulette. Where I, I want to have the ability to outplay and outsmart my opponent, even from an unfavored position. Yeah, that's so I think like the like the biggest example of that would be like V, right? If you if you don't play enough tall punish, or if you don't play enough engines or crazy engines, then you kind of lose to V. But I, I agree with what you said about um, the impact of the expansion, despite uh, it being only seventy ish cards. Mm -hmm. I think. It's probably the most complex expansion in terms of of new abilities, because even yeah, like the I'm previous a... expansions you will see like a lot of you know damage by two stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of like the unique abilities that they ex released in the expansion, as well as the uh, adrenaline keyword. I think mm -hmm. adrenaline keyword. I hope that they continue taking advantage of that keyword and mechanic in the future, because it's another. It's like another lever for them to balance the game with. Like yeah. you know how. Beta Gwent was mostly just points, right? Uh, and you can only balance with points and maybe like bronze, silver, gold restrictions. Uh, and then they went with Homecoming, and now you have provisions that you can use to adjust the balance of a card. And then you had armor that they added. And armor is a really important tool for balancing engines because it makes it harder for, for you to remove them, but it doesn't give them points right off the bat. Uh, and now adrenaline is like another tool, another lever that they can that they can pull to balance cards and restrict cards. And you can use adrenaline as a as a boon or even as a curse, like a a downside, which I think is really awesome. Mm. Plus, we also have devotion. It also mm -hmm. also can be used potentially to balance some cards. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't take advantage of devotion in this expansion, which I think is understandable because it's so small. But I I don't I hope that they don't forget about that either going forward yeah because that's a point of criticism uh, i've seen a lot just you know cdpr introducing a new keyword or a new mechanic and then completely forgetting about that yeah that's you know this happens in other card games as well um there are some themes that they are introducing in one expansion and then you know maybe, maybe reintroducing them after a while after people forget about them Right, and make it feel fresh and they don't have to for example come up with something new they can just revisit another archetype another uh another keyword 
So that would make sense for them as well um, in terms of, you know, developing the game. But yeah, I'm with Shinmiri here about the adrenaline. I was a bit worried in the beginning that this will make the game really uh, too big brain for, for me, for example, or for some other players. But it turned out really interesting and really makes game, um, you know, more interesting, definitely. Um, speaking of big brains, uh, I would like to go um, faction by faction. And let's start with, uh, with Squirtle, because if you are playing against movement, there is definitely some big brains involved. The passive points. Um, you know, it's it's been discussed all over the all over the place. You know, just people f playing against Kato and failing at math. <laughs> and my, my 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 question will be: with up to I think eight passive engines per per match, you know, movement is just a nightmare to pass against. So, what's your opinion on passive points and and their current value output, especially in Kato? Uh, passive points are really strong. Um, it's been a strong mechanic for a long time. I, I know uh, one of our teammates, Sergio, he has this saying yeah. uh, <laughs> that if a card has the magic words at the end of your turn, it's going to be an OP <laughs> card. <laughs> because it automatically does stuff at the end of your turn. And, and especially in round one and round two, when after you pass, you're still getting points after you pass, right? Because the game, the round's not over and your opponent's still trying to catch up. Like, we all know those situations where, uh, like, you've got a drummer, a Tridem infantry, and an Ana on the other side, and it's just, like, getting five points a turn. Um, and then with the Scoitel engines, yeah, Catwitchers, Matrons, Sentries, Gezra. It can be... The game's definitely getting more complex mm. as it's more and more expansions come out i don't feel like it's over the line yet i don't feel like you you can't handle it but yeah it's gonna take a little bit more it's gonna take a little bit more roping for you to plan out <laughs> if you're gonna have enough points to catch up um and also you have to understand game mechanics like uh end of turn priority like uh melee row is gonna activate first so if you have the Dryad Matron on the back row and a Catwitcher on the front row, the Catwitcher will jump to the back row and provide a unit for the Matron to, to buff afterwards. Um, so, like, you have to make sure you understand how these nuances work in terms of the mechanics. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the biggest difference um, compared to, for example, uh, you know, drummers and other NR passive, passive mm -hmm. engines. The positioning doesn't really play that much of a role there. Like, you know, okay, right. it's going to boost the unit to the right, so it's easy to do the math. But here you actually have to remember what is going to happen first. Especially yeah. the reaction you just mentioned, uh, Catwitcher and Matron, because sometimes you just forget about that. And there's been enough Dandelion clips showcasing that even content creators struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Content creators are not immune to Pepegain. <laughs> I know this all too well. We can't lose! Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then there's the uh, the saber tooth tiger math that uh, it's not even cause... shown. It's not even shown. That's mm -hmm. the that's the biggest problem. I think a lot of people get bamboozled by that. <laughs> I, I got a bit worried too because they didn't mention anything about the card in the patch notes. Oh yeah, they mentioned uh, fixing the row subtotals. Yeah, you know, but... so the that's going to be fixed. But I don't. I have yeah, no but idea. The specific card, it's a bit spooky. <laughs> Think, think that you know it's still gonna be like ooh I don't have any points you know? <laughs> right whenever whenever that card's on the board you gotta just like manually check yeah, yeah. Sure just, just add right. plus seven 
Well, not even that, because sometimes sometimes it counts and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know like how it's mm, it's just it weird. Works. It's yeah. just weird because yeah. it's not that it's like it, of course it's easy to like detect, but like sometimes I just simply like when I do the math, I look at the row and I forget forget it that it doesn't count the seven points because I thought mm -hmm. I counted it last turn or whatever. It's just, right. It's just weird. Uh, that's why I'm worried. Not that. It's problematic because if you just mm -hmm. do the math, you can figure it out. But, you know. Yeah, it's not like old uh, Mahakam Horn. Just I, I just add plus eight, and you know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can still bamboozle people with Horn. That's surprising. You can, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I played no, it, I played a game yesterday against someone who played a trap on turn two, and it looked like Mahakam Horn. It smelled like Mahakam Horn. <laughs> And then eventually I passed and it didn't flip over and it was like the biggest reverse bamboozle ever. It was like a serpent <laughs> trap for the entire round and the guy couldn't catch up anymore because he got no points from his serpent trap. <laughs> oh man. Bamboozle the bamboozler. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, well, um, we've seen like many people suggesting devotion or adrenaline on certain cards like V and Lippy. And do you think it's a good idea of uh, dealing with with that problem with these problematic cards, or should keywords like that be used more extensively moving forward? What would you suggest um, to do with V and Lippy right now? Okay, so I think devotion is a terrible idea for both of those cards because yeah, it basically just kills the card. Yeah. Um, devotion on V would cut like five tutors out of the deck, mm -hmm. and there's just no point in playing it anymore. Same with Lippy. Lippy, you would lose Roach, Knickers, Oniromancy, Heat Wave. You know, all all staples of the deck, yeah. and all cards that you get to replay with uh, Lippy. So, yeah, Devotion's not a good idea. There probably are other better ways to balance them. Um, with V, I've heard a lot of different ideas. I've seen suggestions on Reddit, some of them better than others. Adrenaline is something maybe to consider. Um, maybe just like, I think the most interesting idea that I heard was to start V's buff at four, so higher than where it is now, but every time it gets shuffled into the deck, that increase gets decreased by one. So the first time you shuffle it, it increases base strength by four, then three, then two, then one, then zero. Hmm. So it will like cap out at 18. But it, it's a little bit better at the beginning, but it, it doesn't go to like crazy levels like 26 or 29 or whatever. Guys, An 18, po 18 point card is still really good. Guys, I would just like to highlight the fact that my idea just got propped by the one and only Shinmiri. <laughs> <laughs> is that your idea? Yeah, I it didn't was know my that. idea, yeah. Okay. I, I was it your post on Reddit? Oh, yeah, I don't Reddit. really pay attention that much to names of who's posting what, but I'm just like reading the content. I thought that. Yeah, was me neither. But, but because it was my post, I just remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually, reading Reddit is a mistake. <laughs> uh, not always. Reddit is a great place if you want to learn about uh, all kinds of news. Because if you are like me, and if you are not following every Twitter reply that Pavo or Vlad have ever posted, <laughs> you just go to Reddit and you see that right away. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that. But I personally, yeah, it's whatever. I just haven't found the Reddit, the Reddit attraction whatsoever. The, the other suggestion that I liked was to attack it from the overwhelming hunger 
leader side of things because I think one of the main reasons V is so strong is that you can't stop them from, unless you're playing lockdown, you can't stop them from consuming at least like three or four times. Because you get the three leader charges and then Haunt is a fork where they can either consume with the bar, uh, the Banshee or the Vargas that spawns immediately, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if we, if you somehow like nerf Overwhelming Hunger, it could be a, a, a way to nerf V so that you have to actually rely more on sticking consumers like a, like a Slizzard or a Vargas or something, and that gives your opponent more chances to interact. Mm-hmm. Because I've had games where I've, I've killed every single consumer and I still lost to V just because just consuming it four times and playing it five times is already really, really I think what's really frustrating about, about V is how consistent it actually is despite all the tutors. Like You would think that there's no way in hell they're going to get all the tools and yet they do it every single match. Um, so my question will be, um, because a lot of people see those cards as a problem, Lippy and V, but are they really? So I've also seen voices that Lippy and, and, and V are fine. So maybe we shouldn't do anything to them. What do you guys think? Um, I don't think V is fine. I think Lippy is closer to being fine. Um, v is too binary for my taste. Uh, I think there's a, like a lot of decks that just you can't really play in a meta where V is popular because you just like auto lose. You just really have no chance. Even a strong deck like Patricidal Fury Warriors just like has no chance against V. It's it's super super unfavored, um, and you you have to be running like multiple tall punishes or some sort of gimmick to stop like 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 lockdown to stop their their strategy from unfolding. Lippy is a bit more fair. I think you can probably balance Lippy just by power and provision nerfs to, to bring its win rate down a little bit. It, for me, I've never been that frustrated playing against Lippy. Um, and I think before, I think a lot of the frustration against Lippy is due to how popular it is in the meta. Like any deck that you play against over and over and over again, you're going to start hating, <laughs> right? And when Lippy wasn't very popular i actually really enjoyed both playing as lippy and against lippy i thought it was like one of those unintuitive matchups or unintuitive decks where normally you're trying to save you know your golds for round three and maybe play bronzes in round one but it's lippy kind of flips that on his head and it's it's okay or it's good to play all your golds in round one i think that's it's okay for a deck to have that sort of unique style i think that makes the game more interesting an interesting idea that i heard um regarding reworking lippy is to make him resurrect or just you know move the cards from gregor to your deck only faction cards so it's like half devotion so you can still play neutrals you can still play all the neutrals once but once you play lippy you only get skellige cards back into your deck so you can still play Ceres, but you cannot play second heat wave second cog second you don't get second roach or second Nickers. Mm. I'm not sure that's how a, balanced that will be, but I think it's an, just an interesting idea. Half the that's a pretty huge nerf. I yeah. think like yeah, that's a pretty big nerf. Like you're uh, you're taking six points away from mm. from the lippy already, and the lack of flexibility on being able to play heat wave, curse of corruption mm. again. Um, I think it would be too harsh. 
Yeah. Uh, but that's just my opinion. I don't think Lippy is that strong of a deck. It's definitely strong. It's definitely good. But I don't. I think it's being overrated. In my opinion. Yeah, I think that people just overreact. Yeah, the feeling come- I have is that people just get frustrated by Lippy because they don't exactly know what's the best way to necessarily beat Lippy. Like, it's a very beatable deck with a lot of different factions. Um, and they just get frustrated because Lippy just, early on, they just have a lot more points and they get, you know, round control easy and all of that. But if you just, you know, think through it, it's actually pretty easy to beat them. Um, of course, me saying that isn't necessarily like, oh, wow, I can just magically beat Lippy now. But uh, I Yeah, I... I do agree with Villa that people don't understand Lippy that well. And I yeah. see it all the time, people complaining about Lippy. They complain about, oh my god, they're playing their entire deck twice, and they're getting all these golds twice. And, like, honestly, most Lippies only get one gold twice, and that's Cirrus. Yeah. I mean, outside of, I, outside of uh, the, the ones that auto-thin from the deck, right? Like, Nick. Also, there's, and... of course, there's some, like, discard like came is called Vienna around yeah but it that's happens. very occasional like, yeah exactly like usually the only big power play that they're playing twice is Ceres. yeah yeah and if you compare it actually to v i think leapy is like more likely to like mess up get messed up hand right so it's mm-hmm. i think it's harder to to pull off all the combo than when you play v right yeah. it's like it's yeah. not as uninteractive as V. Right. And part of it also is people getting red coin abused by Lippy feels bad. But a lot of the cases, if your deck is um, like a good long round deck, you, sh- and you just don't give up round yeah, one. You, just, fight your you just keep playing, one. even if you lose a card advantage and you have to go two cards down to win round one. Like getting the long round three is just still going to be a win for you if, you're, if your deck is engine heavy enough. And maybe people are just not doing that, and they 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 go down by twenty five points in round one, and they they just give it up, and then they get pushed by Lippy. And... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My approach was, and I'm not I'm not a competitive player, so it's probably not gonna work for everyone. But my approach was, when I was queuing into Lippy all the time, I just started playing a slave, and it's incidentally also mm-hmm. good against uh, movement and and our witchers and assimilate and lockdown. Lockdown. Lockdown is good too against yeah. Lippy. They don't get to play their Ceres. They don't really get, yeah, they don't get to thin with their Ceres. Yeah, I but think, it's, it's just I a think, spicier um, feeling if you yoink their Ceres. Yeah, mm-hmm, I think um, the thing with Lockdown is Lippy can beat Lockdown. It can sure. still beat it, but like, I think... That's what I, like, especially I found, funnily enough, you talk about red coin, blue coin, red coin being mm-hmm. better, but... If you go blue coin as Lippy against Lockdown, and especially if you use take advantage of stratagems like Crystal Skull right now, and you yeah. veil your arches and whatever, then you can actually get that steri- uh, like steal that series tempo early on, and that way you can actually beat Lockdown rather rather easily. But I, I mean, yeah, for sure, Lockdown's a tougher not like not to crack for Lippy. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's an auto win for Lockdown in yeah. any sense, um, but I think it can help. Uh, yeah. And speaking of lockdown, I think the next question kind of kind of touches a topic. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about Nilfgaard a bit. So, uh, as always, there are some voices that 
Nilfgaard should be nerfed as well, but <laughs> <laughs> is there anything don't... really that requires nerfing? <laughs> People don't like it when their strategy gets interrupted or messed with or whatever. So Nilfgaard's always yeah. uh Nilfgaard's always like the, the most loved faction and the most hated faction at the yeah. same time. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is, you know, pulling their pitchforks and torches out when Nilfgaard <laughs> is good. But... Then when it's not good, people are angry because it's not good and you can't play Nilfgaard. It's, it's a bit of a mess with Nilfgaard. Yeah, but with all honesty, if you look at each strong Nilfgaard card, I don't think there is anything to be nerfed. Like, there, isn't any, uh, there isn't anything that really stands out in a way where you think this is OP, it should be adjusted. So, uh, for the, yeah, go ahead, Villa. Maybe Colgrim, in a way? I'm just, in my personal opinion right now, the only thing that I would change with Nilfgaard is maybe look at look a bit at like good aggro because I feel like nine provisions and three damages it makes it a bit too good. Um, but other than that, I actually feel fine with it. There's like a lot of good plays, but a lot of good plays that require setup mostly, and therefore I think it's actually fine. But yeah, I think Kudegra is at that too strong. I mean, even Kudegra requires setup because mostly people are playing it to uh, create or spawn second Yoahim. Yeah, um, I'm not disagreeing. So if Yoahim gets purified, consumed, uh, or if somebody plays Defender on that row, your cool is not really going to be worth a lot. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing necessarily, but I think that 9 provision, 3 damage spawn and play even the Joaquin like I think it's that too on the stronger side I think that is the only thing I touch like make good then I wouldn't change the damage at all I think the damage is fine I just make it a bit higher provision cost I, I completely agree with Villa uh, I, I, I think it was a really big buff for Koo it was like a triple buff No. Um, because they buffed the damage they buffed the provisions and they buffed when buffing the damage it makes it less likely to brick because you can you can now copy like Geralt Professionals and Hjalmars and, and all these other three strength threats with deploy. Uh, I would like to see it go back to ten provisions and just three damage as well. Um, but overall, I think Nilfgaard is in a really good spot. I had they have multiple competitive archetypes, right? They have uh, an engine archetype with assimilate. They have control archetype with lockdown ball, and they have. Um, like a all-in Wincon Colgrim archetype that's pretty competitive as well. I think it can be a little bit annoying to play against the Clog Colgrim deck because it increases the amount of draw RNG there is in the game because you need to draw your good cards earlier so that they don't get stuck behind all the Clog. Um, that's really the only downside, uh, I think, of one of the more popular meta ng decks but i like ng and i hope that i hope that they're able to bring other factions to the same level as ng is where they have there's like three competitive archetypes yeah i think one of the reasons assimilate got pretty competitive is um it's actually targeted rng it's no it's no longer the rng fiesta that that it used to be that you just you know, create something and you don't know what's, what's going to be. Now mm. you have cards like Artorius, you have cards like Brathens, you have cards like Cool, where you actually know what you're getting. You have to also take into account that the other factions got a lot of better cards to copy and always do. Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. 100% agreed. And um, also, like, 
the bottle nerf uh, or some well, buff. Nerf, buff buff yeah. <laughs> provision nerf provision buff whatever it was a pretty big deal for a similar in general because now you can play you can feel a lot more into the deck as well to benefit off of the assimilate tags. That's a pretty huge buff as well. Yeah, and the the slowness of like having the three turn timer for the second engine is not that significant of a downside. Yeah. At least not for assimilate because assimilate's usually playing like two engines after the first turn, anyways. So you're not really activating or missing out on any assimilate activate activations for the the second engine from Portal. I would like to talk a little bit more about Colgrim because that was originally one of our questions and um, you know people people just seem to hate Colgrim. I was I was extremely wrong about that card because when they first showed it I was like oh come on man Skellige is popular just just longship is gonna take care of that. Like there is there is no way Colgrim even survives. And yet it's a pretty competitive deck um and because of its provision cost it can be played twice with renew. And yep. you know the pitchforks are out. People are hunting Colgrim, <laughs> just like in The Witcher Three. <laughs> More friendly. So, do you guys think there should be should be any changes to Colgrim or to deck clogging slash deck manipulation? Yeah, like I mentioned, I, I think I think the Colgrim is not the biggest issue with the deck. I think it, the biggest issue is the deck is the clogging, and it's very frustrating to be on the receiving end of the clogging. And having these answers that can actually win you the match, but just never drawing them because they're stuck behind like five Arrakis drones, <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't know. You can't really fix that issue without completely upending the whole archetype. Is the problem? So it's not an easy solution, in my opinion. You could just end up. The easier solution would to be just nerf Colgrim, but. I feel like Colgrim's a pretty interesting card. I like I mean, these unique mechanics. I don't I mean, want to see them nerf I mean, all these unique mechanics. You could bump around. his provisions to ten. I, I no, but I think that's something that would come, like almost destroy the card because the main attraction is just getting as many points as you can with Colgrim, and therefore it's good because right now you can get consistently a lot of points. And buffing so if... it up a new range is probably pretty but the, the problem is that it's an all-in win con and you would assume that if you bleed Colgrim, you are gonna win but you are not gonna win because they have renew well that depends a lot and if you actually. bump his provisions he won't be a renew target anymore so you still get a lot of points with Colgrim, but you cannot play him twice yeah i mean i can see it but i think in 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 long term i think Colgrim is just not gonna be that honestly not like i don't find it that good right now at the moment this is my personal opinion i think if you buff it to 10 out of a new range it takes all the attraction out of playing the card um, I, I agree like you, you just play these slow mid-tier cards to clog your opponent's deck but in the end if you, it actually doesn't even do that much the opponent has two mulligans per round yeah um, and they have thinning as well yeah. Like, they have their own tutors. Like, there's a lot of things that just avoid it completely. Um, and like I said, personally, I haven't found the deck problematic whatsoever. So I think, yeah, just putting it out of friendly range would kill it completely. I've played the deck uh, with both renew version and without renew version, and without renew, the deck can only win one round. Yeah. So like, it's just not, it's not viable without renew. 
Um, and even with Renew, you usually can't win the first round if the if your opponent doesn't give up the first round, because you're like like Villa said, you're playing like five tempo, six tempo clogger cards, and you're playing a lot of them, so you're probably not winning round one. And then they can push you to get your first Colgrim out or your defender out or something, and then have one answer for your Colgrim in round three, and that's enough. And it doesn't seem like unreasonable um, for Colgrim decks to be able to play Renew. All right, fair points, fair points. That's that, that's why I like to discuss things with competitive players because they clearly know more about the game than I do. Uh, I think I, I think like Colgrim Libby are are on a different level of frustration slash binariness compared <laughs> to V. Yeah. So like between the three of them, I would definitely want something done about V. About but v. No. Um, I I also am the type of person and player that wants to lean towards not neutering unique strategies and unique cards and mechanics because yeah. I feel like that's really important to the fun factor of Gwent. You know, the health of Gwent even yeah. if you call it that. Like you have you have to have fresh concepts in decks to keep the game healthy and going and interesting. Um, yeah. Otherwise you get Back to the complaints about everything's boost and damage. And you get Jason Slama ranting on his own stream about people complaining about boost and damage. No. Mm. Uh, actually, the next question should be about something fun. Oh, yeah. So we are discussing um, the expansion faction by faction, actually. And we had some questions about the syndicate. We're going to move to that as well later. But let's start with uh, Northern Realms. And we have the Witcher-based list and some players getting some really sick MMR scores out of yeah. that list. And overall, the community seems to regard it as fun to play, but not everyone is happy, for example, with Erlan's immunity. So uh, what's your take on that? I, I find <laughs> Erlan's immunity very irrelevant. Yeah, you want to play the card for carryover. So yeah. I think it's... <clears throat> Like, you know, guys, come on. It, yeah, I yeah, think you're going to use the Erland ability maybe once in 10 games. It, maybe not even that. Like, it, for me, it's a bit ridiculous to find this complaint. But yeah. I think immunity is one of those things that people are always going to complain about. But, yeah, like, but it the, the, the biggest attraction of the card is getting the value from the carryover. And getting those green numbers, so for me it is hard to like you know grasp the idea that <clears> the <throat> immunity is like broken. Yeah. Villa and I had the exact same reaction, like raising one eyebrow when when Hester <laughs> said people don't like the immunity. It's yeah, yeah like I, I like he said, I think it's fairly irrelevant. Um, the only time I've personally played Erlin for immunity is in an Arch Griffin deck, as yeah. like a way to protect <laughs> the Arch Griffin points in round three. And we all know that deck is a complete meme. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah. And the the popular meta Witcher's deck, it always plays Erlinden. You have so many different ways to get him through um, selective mutation and Quen, and also like drawing Erlin naturally. That you're in most games, you're playing him in round one. Yeah. So you have so like it's quite often the opening play actually. You have like mm -hmm. three different ways of finding Erland. Like you're opening Mulligans, you have Selective Mutation, and you have Geralt Quen. So more often than not, 
the Northern Realms player will have Erland round one. Um, so yeah, the yeah, immunity. It's, it's 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 really like an opening play of sorts. Yeah. And I mean, how, even if you do play Erland in round three in a normal deck, you're not going to have that many points on him because exactly. you're going to have you're, drawn you're, most of your deck already. Yeah. You're going to have like maybe five units left in your deck, something along right. those lines. Maybe that's even on a bit of the extreme side. Some cases you have like four, three units. Yeah. Actually, I've yeah. seen like six or seven ones, but I think that was really just an outlier. But uh, what I like about this deck, what I like about NR um, Witchers is it's probably the only deck that people don't have any negative feelings about. Like other than some, you know why? Because it doesn't interact with your side of the board. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't impede your strategy. It I mean, like... V doesn't interact <laughs> with your side of the board either. Okay, v's, that's V's all, uh, that's po point output is a lot different still compared. Yeah, of course, to of course, witches. absolutely. No, but the thing is, you can't. You also can't interact with V. Is the yeah. problem? Yeah, like that's... NR Witchers is a deck that doesn't mess with your strategy, and you have you are allowed to mess with theirs. So mm. it feels very fair to the opponent. Like you. Right? Yeah, but it's a solitaire it's deck, but you can do something about it. Yeah, v exactly. is a solitaire deck, but you really can't do anything about it. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's honestly, in my opinion, it's quite that simple. Uh, but mm -hmm. there's, of course, there's more to it, but that's like the easiest way for me to summarize it. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and, and I agree. But still, you know, like, if you look at this expansion, almost every meta deck, in a way, feels annoying to play against. Like, Lippy because of points, uh, V because V is being V, you know, Lockdown because that's the sole purpose of that deck, would be annoying. And then, you know, every now and then you're going to play against our Witchers and you, get the, you have this good feeling, oh, this is actually fun to play against. Yeah, thanks. In card games, when you're playing at a high level, competitive decks always have something unfair about them. That's why they're competitive. Yeah. Like, you don't get a competitive deck for just being fair. I 100% agree on this. Like, there's no way a competitive deck is a fair deck. <laughs> so that's just, why, that, that yeah. That just doesn't if, exist. If you're playing at a high level, it's very easy to find things to complain about yeah. uh, because every deck is unfair. I mean, not even if you're playing on, 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 on the high level, because, you know, people on play on the high level, they post their decks and then everyone is playing them. So that yep. kind of, you know, trickles down to the lower ranks as well. Definitely. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is off topic, but that's just, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm a bit too, well, I'm a, I'm a bit concerned about the amount of quote unquote net decking down, down below, because I feel like it doesn't help new equent players whatsoever. I think it, Point of fact, I think it makes them worse off if they net deck and they don't properly learn the fundamentals of the game. Uh, that but makes me a bit worried, but yeah. That's a that's a inherent problem for With, every yeah, card game. Yeah. Like you can't stop net decking. Human yeah. it's just human nature to copy what works. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's up to the players themselves to hopefully understand the the decks that they're copying and try to get an uh a general understanding of how or why the deck is good. Yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a special case. We already know that. I, 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 <laughs> I never found net decking like that, like interesting. I wanted to figure out my own ways to like beat the game or whatever. For sure. Uh, so I've 
that, that's why I find it a bit weird and concerning, but I completely get it that people want to like gain fast ranks and whatever, but in the end, I think it will actually hurt them more than they realize. Mm-hmm. It's a bit sad. It's, it's actually interesting that uh, the rank at which people start Nedek gets lower and lower and lower. Like, you know, way back when, when you were rank, I don't know, 15, like you, would, you wouldn't release a Nedex. This time around, you only are going to see Nedex. That's something that happens as the game matures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, you know, yeah. they're just... I'm just saying that the point at which people start Nedek shifts slowly towards lower and lower ranks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, uh, there is the reason why people stay there. Even if when with the Nedek um, construction and archetype, right? They still rank, I don't know, 20 or something. And it, it's not going to change. Oh yeah, absolutely. So as, they as Shinmir just said, you know, it's the... inherent to to every card game. Yeah. Um, but moving on, um, we are talking about NR, and there is one card I want to specifically discuss, and that's Cohen. Has anyone ever successfully managed to play Cohen? I've seen Redrim do it like once on stream. <laughs> <laughs> I personally haven't experimented much with the card, but yeah, like I've seen other people try it out. I I haven't bothered either, to be completely honest. But uh, Raym, obviously, me and Shin team, Shin's teammate, uh, very yeah. good guy, friendly guy. Yeah. <laughs> he he managed to pull it off, but <laughs> that was like once, and after that, he has been like gone. So theoretically, it, it works really well with Vicegoda if you can stick the Vicegoda oh, yeah. and then like just manually line up everything. Um, yeah. I think I've seen a clip somewhere where someone boosted like a board of 11s with Cohen. That's like eight yeah, boosts sure, per I'm unit. Sure <laughs> like with yeah. Stone or something ridiculous, he went and did right. it. Um, um, so I think it's more of a fun card, but yeah, like I personally haven't explored it too much because it, it seems on a theoretical level like uncompetitive. Yeah. Uh, not does it seem only uncompetitive competitive but for me even though it might be a fun card it just seems mm-hmm. kind of a b- bad card to be completely honest mm-hmm. and therefore i haven't really even bothered um how good would the card be if it didn't buff enemy that's a pretty <laughs> tough question i think it'd be actually probably pretty playable honestly um uh but that again then that depends on how good and uh quote-unquote and our engines is gonna be in the long run but or, or in the long run uh, or in different methods but i think the card would actually be a lot more playable yeah um, um speaking of playable cards uh syndicate from 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 glory to nothing some people say that you know syndicate needs a buff syndicate is not being played i'm not really sure about that myself i've seen some syndicate here and there but what do you guys think are you surprised by the lack of viable syndicate decks or do you think that there are viable syndicate decks but they are just not being played as much because it really seems that the only deck that kind of made it to um the meta snapshots was the pre-expansion hidden cache i think my main problem with syndicate is i've talked about this with a lot of aretusa teammates and come to the conclusion of the uh when the power creep keeps on happening and happening went the uh, point or two points per coin, whatever it is, it's just so hard to like for CDPR to manage it and balance it that eventually Syndicate just kind of falls into this hole 
which doesn't feel good, but when they start buffing the faction, and a coin equals like on average two points or even more, it's gonna be again like one of the top decks out there. I I feel like the coin mechanic is making it very hard for CDPR to like keep it in check. Hmm. I mean, it's you know the mechanic is also uh, making it hard for your average player to make Syndicate um, somehow popular. Because a lot no, of people are just no. not going to bother. It's, it's just too uh, complicated. When they introduced it, it was like a new faction for more, what, what was it, like advanced players or whatever. So I feel like that's fine. But I, I feel like the coin mechanic and the points per coin system one that's going to keep them you know, behind with the faction. I mean, they could print more cards like Sea Jackal that translate one coin to like one and a half points as like a yeah. compromise I, I, like i wouldn't mind but mm-hmm. um other than but that, I, I didn't think that syndicate really got shafted i think they got some decent cards like especially salamandra hideout like that cards the pretty, location yeah it's really yeah. good um i also think that syndicate as a whole is probably being a little bit underrated and yeah. it might still be the weakest faction but by how much how the public is perceiving Syndicate, I think it's maybe a little bit underrated. I had really good success with a Bounty Pass a Flora deck. I didn't. I only played twenty five games of it, which is the placements, but I got like over twenty five hundred on my placements with uh, with Bounty Pass a Flora, which was uh, shout out to Silex his list. But it was very surprising that uh, you know it did so well. And um, I'm also surprised that Congregate fell off the map completely. Like. Mm. It seems like it should still be a pretty decent deck. It didn't really receive any nerfs, not direct nerfs. And um, for a while there, if the meta is very control-heavy, like, Congregate's a, a swarm deck that goes wide. Similar to, like, NR Witchers, it should do th- decently well in that sort of meta. I think the main problem with playing Congregate right now is that the other decks just kind of combat it with raw points, I think. Mm. And therefore, it's not really seeing that much play. Because it's especially if you queue congregate, well, congregate ST, I think that's gonna be well, 60 40 at least to ST. Whereas it, before it was like very congregate favored, unless you play mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, yeah, I think, I think just the new engines and the raw value the other decks have right now is just made congregate a bit worse. That's what I feel like the case is. Yeah. Syndicate is one of those factions where I think like it's got the least number of people playing it, so at the same time, least number of people trying to innovate with it or experiment with it. So uh, there definitely could be a like a hidden gem there somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's memes or or any attempt at a at a competitive deck, but I saw Trinet playing uh, Syndicate today, and he was playing with Igor, Townsfolk, Tax Collectors, and Kiki's eating the, eating the ship. Okay. I mean, that's, and that 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 seems like a pile, but you know, it generated an absurd amount of points. It's it's one of those like if you get absolutely everything perfectly, it'll do fine. But that's. I like, mean, he only got bronzes round and, and plus I go round three. It, it sounds like a, a deck that's really good at winning one round. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> yeah that, that's why I said I have no idea if it was memes or any attempt at trying to get competitive with, with uh, Syndicate. Highly, it, 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 it seemed count. nice to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would highly doubt that it's a quote-unquote attempt at a competitive deck. Uh, but you never know what's going on with Trinet's mind. <laughs> yeah, at least he is experimenting with that. 
Yeah, I was kind of disappointed with, uh, you know, the, the self-poisoning, as someone mentioned in the chat as well. That, that was something that I had some high hopes for, and it turned out to be kind of underwhelming. But at least they were, you know, considering the fact that Syndicate is quite complicated, uh, it looked to me like they wanted to maybe, you know, limit that complexity uh, to some extent with uh, the self-poisoning units and, and that archetype to make it maybe more accessible for newer players. And I saw some people play that deck right at the beginning, but then it obviously fell off. People were mostly exploring these the double salamander Exodia yeah. memes from what I saw. And yeah, that, that was never really going to be competitive, I think. Yeah. But um, I think that the, the, the foundation is there for self-poison to, to be good. I think cards like Salamander Hideout and the Blindheim Brothers are pretty good cards. It maybe just needs the archetype needs a little bit more support and it can get there. Yeah, there's like just no way, um, you know, to worry about the coins, for example. So that's definitely the way to make the faction more popular. Uh, they were posting some faction popularity charts. And yeah, I think the Syndicate is still the least Syndicate's popular. always going to be the least popular. Even yeah. when it was like the best deck in the game, it was still, I think, the least played faction because it's not accessible to new players. No. Uh, there's also no Syndicate star uh, starter deck. Uh, is there yep. yeah, any more? I don't know. Yeah, there is no Syndicate starter deck. They did sell like a Syndicate <laughs> deck in the shop at one point, right? Yeah. But They sold yeah. starter decks for every faction, I believe. Um, <laughs> with like evolving cards or whatever. Yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. Yeah, there was no starter for Syndicate. Yeah, we have a question uh, here. Like... Uh, Tommy is saying like self poison needs its own dedicated bronze spender. What do you think about and what kind of spender would that be? Does it hmm. really need a spender? I don't know. I think I feel it. It needs more than than one bronze spender to be to be competitive. Maybe something like um, fee two. Boost a unit, boost an allied unit by three and give it poison, something like that. All right, I don't know. Yeah, it's or, kind or of hard. It's kind of hard for me to like try to come up on come up on the spot with like something that self yeah. poison. Yeah, like. especially after this much beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I think the 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 Blindheim brothers combination is really cool, but you only get one of each, and you have to get them together in the same round. But they together they're actually really really powerful, right? Like yeah. I forget the math behind it, but um, you get really good deal for your coins. Yeah. All right. So uh, we basically covered most of the factions. I think um, all factions. We didn't talk about every single popular deck. For example, we didn't talk about Kelly. We didn't talk about uh... wait. I think I think Kelly's. We didn't talk about warriors. Yeah. Gaining popularity once again. But, you know, these are the decks that everyone knows. So yeah, Azar, continue. Yeah, we can we can move to to the lore keepers <laughs> and expanding the lore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh about the you know, um there are some additions in the game, obviously. The the team is working on the lore. 
they are using the lore they have from Sapkowski's books, obviously. But there are definitely some people working on the new lore in the game. And uh, do you think there is such a group? And how would you rate their work up until this point? Oh, the internal lore keepers. I think it was meant to be a joke in a way. It was definitely meant to be a joke, I think. And people took it way too far. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, like on a serious note, yeah, they're, they're working on like new lore stuff, right? And we yeah. see that with every expansion. There are characters that we've never seen in the Witcher universe before. I think that's cool that they're expanding and making their own lore. I think that's really awesome. I'm not somebody who cares. Like, when it comes to a card game, I don't care that much about the lore. Um, but it's a nice bonus for me on the side. And uh, I think they are doing a good job. When it comes to the meme internal lore keepers, where Red is just like, just won't let go over a stupid glass of wine or or heads of a snake statue I, I i'm sure cdpr has its reasons uh for like you know changing the card art or whatever and i i don't find it such a big deal uh, my personal opinion i guess and i was i was frankly getting a little bit sick of seeing reddit being spammed with the with the memes of you know internal lore keepers and and the snake head and stuff like that. I, I don't. Uh, and high fantasy. Oh my god. Oh yeah. High fantasy. <laughs> Those two words are. I like mean, a you you never know. Maybe they decided to add the head the, the head of a snake after all to Gorthogvate, and maybe that was the game breaking bug. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe they fixed the wine glass and it broke the game. Who knows. You never know, you never know. But, you know, I, I like those tweets. It happens every now and then, like, you know, uh, DJ being the fourth most played leader back in the day. Oh, God. <laughs> it, happens every, it, it happens every now and then. And, and it, it's, I, I like the way how they go about it, because they know, like, almost on the spot, okay, we fucked up. We shouldn't have said that. And it's always fun to talk about, to power about that. You know, if you're on the podcast or elsewhere, just, 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 ask him how how he feels about that and he knows he always goes like yeah the moment i posted it i knew it was a bad idea <laughs> but um what i want to talk about is um the february patch because okay you know lore keepers memes uh, we cracked enough jokes about that uh but you know we talk about a lot of potential reworks to certain cards but what do you actually expect to be changed in february Realistically, it's gonna be a larger patch because that's I think what people expect now. Probably, I would guess so. Um, since they aren't doing much for January's patch, I think we're gonna see more changes in February, and I I don't really know what they're gonna do, but I would assume that they're gonna hopefully address something like V. At the bare minimum, and then I would like to see buffs to underplayed archetypes. That's that's something that I've always that I always like to see in the long term is um, buffs to underplayed archetypes to get more archetypes into the viable or competitive range. Oh yeah, I think everyone um, likes to see that, and you know sometimes I know that we often laugh about that or reddit laughs about that you know that one provision change is not gonna change it's not gonna boost the archetype or it's not gonna 
you know, uh, shift something into playability, but quite often that's that's the case. Like, look look at Master of the Skies, for instance, or mm. Nausicaa Sergeant. Just one provision change and the card is playable again. One provision change is massive, especially if it's from five to four provisions. I think that's, like, the biggest uh, impact of one provision. It's not, it's a lot bigger than, like, changing an 11 provision card to a 12 provision, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Especially, you know, like, like you said, if you look at the lowest bracket, you know, four or five provision cards, any change there can really, you know, either either kill the card completely or, or, or move it to a more playable region. Um, Villa, do you have any expectations when it comes to the February patch? I mean, hard like, to really know what they want to necessarily do with it, but I would hope that they address some of the issues with like V and uh, maybe even Lippy a bit. Um, that's like kind of what I'm expecting. It, it's really hard for me to actually say what I'd exactly expect, because in the end they have to balance everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of hard to like put up in, like, oh yeah, they're going to balance this and this, but may maybe there's going to be something, like, I, th I think Asti might get a hit, uh, uh, Angie hopefully gets good to 10, but it's hard for, this is actually like relatively tough to predict right now. Like the only one that I can be certain of is V. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, v. yeah. And, and just imagine this, like imagine they nerfed V to the point where it wasn't played anymore. That would have a big impact on the meta because I feel like the meta right now is shaped around V, and the only reason V isn't being played everywhere is because the other decks are are keeping it down, right? V has counters. V is a pretty binary sort of deck, um, but once V is, if V becomes out of the picture, I could I could see like the meta shifting significantly, even with no other changes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Villa, you said something about Skoya. I think. Um, some people here and there have been saying maybe knock the adrenaline off the Cat Witcher. Yeah. Personally, I, I mean, don't really have an opinion. I'm, I'm just asking you guys, as you know, people who play more competitively. I don't think that the I don't think necessarily that Cat Witcher is the problem. Personally, I love these bronzes that you can actually build around again. I like them that they're good. But if I do something, I'd probably make Gesseros a bit more expensive on the provision side, but I wouldn't really do anything about the points, I don't think. When it comes to Gesseros, change the wording to then. Please. Please. Um, I mean, so if it, you want it so if it doesn't move, then it doesn't do yeah, anything? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you can actually prevent it from happening by, for example, you know, playing Spice or something of the sort. Yeah. I surprisingly like Gezra. I thought was going to be a really uh, crazy card, and it surprisingly has underperformed my expectations. Oh, really? I think. Yeah. yeah. Like I think it's been pretty tame. Gezra usually just plays as a thirteen, and then it gets answered. Um, that's pretty much my experience with it. It's very rarely have I seen a Gezra stick on the board for longer than one turn. Um, Catwitcher being able to get like three copies of it and having longer synergy with Sentry 
has been more of like a backbone for the deck. At least the engine versions of it. I could I could see or understand a, a slight nerf to Catwitcher, maybe like Adrenaline 3 instead of Adrenaline 4, to slow it down a little bit from becoming this uh, very strong engine in round 1 or round 2, like earlier in the round. That would maybe be my suggestion. I don't know what else uh, What else do you have to do with ST. No, I think everything else is just okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a lot to do with ST, but there's something to do with ST. Fra- frankly, I haven't seen that many ST engine decks towards the later weeks. It used to be yeah. everywhere in the first couple of weeks, but it's definitely fallen in play rate. I mean, the more Nilfgaard you get, then less engine-based... Uh decks you're gonna see yeah i think that's the general rule and you know coincidentally uh Nilfgaard plays well against v and so st kind of suffers from that so so far in this month we've gone from like very engine heavy lists being played more often at the start engine and threat heavy lists and then control lists coming in to to counter them and now we see like NR Witchers doing super well and uh, like swarm point slam lists to counter the control list. And I think that's a pretty healthy sign, right? Like the meta has naturally evolved all the way around the, the triangle of death, as we like to say. And <laughs> maybe engine lists will come back or like Carapace is now coming into the forefront, which has a really good um, matchup against like NR Witchers and other swarm decks and point slam decks that don't really have that much control. Yeah, I might have a little bit of an extreme opinion on Carapress and Kelly, but that's not what I want to see. Just playing against that deck makes me go crazy. <laughs> <sighs> just no units in general. I mean, it, it plays units, but just not, not too many. I mean, it plays units. It, it's, I wouldn't call Carapace a, a no-unit deck. It actually has a lot of big threats, right? But it's more like... Um, it's a deck that's kind of immune to damage removal, but vulnerable to hard removal and tall tall removal. No. I think one of the bigger problems people have with Kelly ultimately is gonna like be towards Siri Dash Mm. uh, because it enables Kelly to like work extremely well. I think that's where the main problem or issue is. Yeah, I think Bushy made made a video about um, Siri Dash some time ago. Hmm. Yeah. The card being very polarizing. I think that's that's oh. the term he used specifically. Um, so yeah, these are the expectations for the patch. Um, I'm not sure if Hesser got the question because I added it a little bit later on about the journey. The journey, yeah, yeah, sure, I got it. So uh, well, the journey is um, it's gonna get delayed as well by one week or expanded by a week. So uh, everyone is thinking about who might the new heroes of the journey uh, be in the future. Um, obviously, everyone wants some more substantial characters because I, I can feel like a lot of viewers, for example, were not satisfied with Alzor. And now they're waiting for someone to actually, you know, put their, their effort into and grind. Um, do you have like any guesses who might be the new hero or heroes? I don't know who it's going to be, but I, I think 
my guess it's going to be someone more prominent than Elzer because they, you know, they did the experiment with a lesser known character and they're probably yeah. going to try to go back to somebody more like on the Yen, uh, you know, somebody on the Yen, Dandelion, Triss sort of league of yeah. famous characters in, in the Witcher universe. Um, I actually, I like the Elzer journey. Um, it, I really like the, the art, like the card backs and the, uh, especially like the aura effects for Alzer. I didn't like how slow the leader was in his animations, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've definitely been caught on the wrong side of, uh, of the rope with Alzer's slow hand waving more than once, but hopefully they, the, the new one is a little bit faster. The only problem I had with Alzer was he just sounds like an edgy teenager. Oh, yeah. That's okay. it. Like the the quality of of the uh, microtransactions, the carbacks, absolutely amazing. But just playing against Alzer and somebody BMing with Alzer, just just please stop. <laughs> there was um there was that line about um, self proclaimed authority, and I was like, yeah, that's something I would say when I would when I was fifteen, and my dad told me I was grounded. <laughs> totally, that's just Alzer for you, man. <laughs> um, you know, to move uh, like before we before we move to the next segment because I would like to end this one on a more positive note. Uh, some beta streamers like Alias V and Merchant decided to give Gwent another go. Do you guys think we'll see more all-time streamers getting back at least you know for a while to see how Gwent is doing and, and what's happening uh, in the game? I certainly hope so. I, I think it was, for me, it was really cool to see some of these streamers come back and give the game a try. And uh, I know a lot of them, along with their viewers, might have like left Gwent around the time when Homecoming just came out. And the game is in such a better state now than it was um, at that point. So if, if people give it a shot again, I, I think they will be pleasantly surprised and maybe stick around. Yeah, for me it was big news, especially Merchant. Merchant was very vocal about Homecoming and the quality of the game around that time. And I think it, it, was, it was actually interesting that it started with um, MacBeard streaming, I think, something else than Gwent, and then getting hosted by Swim and Life Coach and tweeting about that and other people seeing that and liking that. And that caused other streamers to give it a go. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of hard to say I barely watch Twitch. Uh, so, but, I mean, it's hard for me to know when they're online, but I would certainly hope so that, you know, if they keep on playing it because, yeah, it would be good for the game, of course. And... Okay, yeah, so... you know, the, the, the thing is that actually he gave an impression that uh, it was, like, worth revisiting but he actually wished that, that the game was in that shape a couple of years ago. And maybe, you know, that the whole career uh, would, his career would, would go, would be a bit different, right? Go a different way. But so, so that gave me an impression that, okay, it was cool to revisit, but I'm not coming here <laughs> anymore, right, in the future. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't really expect it. I think, I, I don't know how Merchant's doing right now, but I think he had a really, um, He's been successful in the MTG arena, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's going to be a big... It will be a big decision for him to like 
swap back to Gwent as his main game. I don't really see him doing that, but I do hope that you know he can he will continue playing it as a side game or checking it out once in a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, but to move to a territory you are more familiar with, competitive Gwent, um, there isn't really much ground to cover. Um, but there's a couple of questions we have uh, that we would like to discuss with you guys. The first one being, we haven't heard much when it comes to Season 3. Do you expect some last-minute changes regards, in regards to the format or maybe the prize pool? Um, if I had to guess, I would say they're probably keeping it pretty similar to Season 2. Uh, they, I, I feel like they did a relatively good job with the online format, um, and they're probably improving every, on every iteration. So I don't expect some big changes. Um, and as for the prize pool, it's really going to depend on the, the, the crowdfunding aspect of it, right? That's like the biggest uh, impact on how big it ends up being. But I think, you know, at the beginning of season two, when they announced the reduced prize pool compared to season one, uh, people were concerned. But at the end of the day, like the prize pools for season two ended up being fairly comparable to season one, especially for like the opens because of all the support that we got from the community, which is great to see. And Villa, when are we going to see you in the <laughs> tournament? Like you've, been very, you, you've been very close a couple of times. I mean, hopefully as soon as possible, I guess. Are you planning on going for top 16, top 64? In the upcoming competitive season? Uh, as high as possible. As high nice. as possible. As high as, yeah. I, I'm, uh, yeah, as high as I can, basically. Awesome. Yeah, that's to always nice to see. And um, we actually briefly talked about that, but considering that the next season is only going to be two, two maybe three weeks, I think three weeks is confirmed now. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think the start of the series should maybe be postponed like i've seen some people saying that that you know three weeks is not enough maybe delay delay until march i mean that's going to mess with their entire schedule because yeah. they've already like i think if they're copying the season two format you're going to have like you know the the eight months of competitive seasons followed by opens every two months and then you have the world master season three in december right so I think they're probably not going to delay it an entire month and just compromise and go with a three-week season. I don't think that's a huge deal. We've had three-week seasons. We've had five-week seasons. I think this season is going to be like a six-week season, the one that we're currently in. So it might be a record. Yeah, it is going to be a record. It's the highest top 500 cutoff ever. So, um, and yeah, I think players will adapt. Like, I don't think it's a huge deal to have one three-week season due to extenuating circumstances. Um, the one thing that I'm most worried about for the current meta is that players will be more rewarded for being for queuing the right decks at the right time because the matchups are a little bit more on the binary side. They're not like completely binary, but like yeah, rock paper scissors. If you queue Precision Strike No Unit Control into Keltullus, <laughs> you know, when the meta is really Keltullus heavy, you're, you're really happy, or even like Assimilate, you know. And then, but, but if you end up queuing the same deck into like a bunch of Lippies, then you're really sad. Yeah, understandable. 
Hester, mm. do we have more questions about the competitive Gwent? Because, as I said, there is not really that much to cover right now. Yeah, actually, not really, right? And I think that there is still, you know, uh, the finale of uh, Season 1 to be squeezed somewhere. <laughs> so I mean, if it's happening this year, because we don't know that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Vlad didn't, didn't say there is a deadline on that. Like, he said that they are going to try to fit it in as soon as possible, as soon as the lockdown is lifted or as soon as the situation across well, I, I remember around the world improves. Yeah. But if they uh, can do it, they do it saying... online too, right? That was that was the idea. Yeah, exactly. They they want to do it online as well. So I think it should be possible to do it this year as well. Yeah, I mean, World Masters season two was um, overall pretty went pretty smoothly online. So I think that probably was like an encouragement for him to consider doing season one online as well. So we'll see. Um, I do hope that they they hold it sooner rather than later because like well, it's gonna get awkward at the when when like half the players don't come because they're not playing Gwent anymore you know yeah. so like the sooner the better in my opinion i think what he said was because we made a joke about um the season three finale happening before season one and he said oh. it's definitely not gonna be the case so it has to be this okay. year yeah <laughs> And if we don't have any more questions in that regard, uh, we can we can move to the fun segment of personal Q and A, and we can we, we can we get to ask Shamiri some personal questions. Okay. And um, <laughs> the first one is: How did you actually get to be kind um, of faction ambassador? And what what are your responsibilities as such? Like, what what does it include to be an ambassador? So I think originally I got offered Skellige Faction Ambassador because I was known for playing a lot of Skellige and so it was my favorite faction for a long time. In beta, I was... Uh, I, I came to fame playing a Veterans deck um, in SK, and then I've always really liked SK as a faction. I, I really enjoyed like playing early versions of Lippy back when it wasn't that popular, and also Iced with like the old Saris, kind of when, when Saris was like Crow Mother in that form. I really enjoyed playing that sort of deck. Um, and Faction Ambassador, the biggest responsibilities uh, originally was to come up with a revamped starter deck. They Because the original starter decks in Homecoming were very uh, suboptimal, I'd say. And they didn't feel like... You didn't, you didn't feel like you had any chance of winning if you had a starter deck versus somebody who didn't play a starter deck. And they wanted to bring that a little bit closer in line with... Um, you know, somewhat viable decks so that you didn't feel like you were at a massive disadvantage, but also give the the players room to grow and to improve their starter decks as they, you know, open new card kegs and got better cards. So that was a big responsibility at the time. And then also just uh, representing the faction. And nowadays it's more of um, being an extra liaison or feed, giving feedback to the developers regarding uh, balance changes or design ideas. And so we, we have the faction ambassadors have a closer line of contact to the to the devs, and and we give them feedback on future future changes and stuff too. So only I, I really like to that. Only your part. own faction or to all factions? Um, not only your own faction, but it's what I guess it's more like what you're comfortable with. I think some of the faction ambassadors uh, do focus on their faction specifically, but I I like to give feedback on everything, and and I think they take that into account. So it's really cool. Yeah, that that's awesome because um, you know, sometimes you hear some some criticism about 
faction ambassadors be nothing else but a, but a badge for it. But it's, it's good to hear that there is a line of, of communication and that you have some influence on, on the development process or balance. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of the competitive part of uh, your job uh, at Gwent as well, you had a chance to be both a caster and an analyst. And how do you prepare for each of these roles? And which one do you prefer? It's you know, I wanted to point out that you're you, you've been doing a really good job, and some people are you know getting roasted from time to time. But you actually, I, I've never seen like you know some. Uh, a po proper roast of you doing your job <laughs> comparing to well, the other guys well maybe panda uh, is not getting that much either but <laughs> uh i i really enjoy being a caster and analyst and yeah i i feel like i i've been lucky uh relatively lucky compared to the uh, other broadcasters in terms of like the feedback that i've gotten and so i, re I really appreciate that um yeah I, I i love being both a caster and an analyst they're very different actually I, I i have similar preparation for both of them uh and that's just like uh, evaluating the meta and looking at the competitive tournament decks and 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 um personally playing through the matchups and looking for interesting unique interactions or strategies and tactics that um both players can can use so that i'm prepared to point them out as the games unfold if the situation does arise and um, I also like to interview the players beforehand to get their thought process on, you know, their deck lineup, uh, what their strategy going to the the matchup is going to be, like their queue orders, um, and and what's going on through their head. Because I, I like presenting that sort of inside information to the viewers. I think that's a cool thing that they get to see if if we find anything interesting from the from the player interviews. And so obviously the differences between a caster and an analyst. Casters talking a lot more. They have a lot more screen time, um, but they also get to take breaks because you know you only cast half of the matches. Whereas an analyst is going to have less screen time, but they, as an analyst, you have to pay attention the entire time. You don't get any breaks. And last time I was an analyst for Red World Masters Two, uh, it was just me without a partner. So there's like a little bit more additional pressure that you. Have, have nobody to rely on or to throw to in case you're out of things to talk about. So, uh, and, and as an analyst, I think it's it's a harder job because you have to find more interesting things to talk about. Whereas caster, you can fall back on just being more play by play and and explaining what's happening as it happens. But analyst, you have to. I had to find interesting clips myself, record them, set up like the the um, replay as well. So there's definitely some more uh, technical responsibilities too as an analyst, and and keeping things interesting while not being too complicated, so that like viewers of all different skill levels and experience levels can understand what you're talking about, uh, is is definitely sometimes a, a challenge. But I really enjoy both. I'd say if I had, if I pref uh, you have to make me choose between one of the roles, I'd probably say caster, but I really enjoy doing. It. Yeah, you actually answered my follow-up question because I was really wondering how it works um, on the back-end side of the job, especially now that you know, everything happens online. Because I always imagine that if you want a clip, you just you know go to some production guy and say, you know, this timestamp, this is what I need. Now you just explain so you, that you have to do it yourself. It used to be like that. So um, the first time I was an analyst at Challenger number four, 
that was how it was set up. It was like I was on a headset with production guy, and um, when I saw a clip, I would tell him, okay, from here to here, and then play this clip when we say these keywords. You know, when when we when we say let's take a look at game number three or whatever, and then they would play this associated clip. And then starting from Challenger Five, and also um, when for the online tournament, the analysts themselves got to clip the replay, the the segment. So it's uh, I think it's good and bad. Like it, we get more control over what we want to show, which is great. But it also it's another thing that we have to be responsible for while also still paying attention to the game. Because like when I'm clipping the replay, I, the game's still going on. I still have to watch the game and pay attention and make sure I don't miss anything. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit of juggling, multitasking. And, and um, just to be sure, it's not a Twitch clip. You have some proper tools to make that clip, right? It's not a Twitch clip, no. Just, just, just to be sure. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys saw the... You guys saw the uh, World Masters replay system. I thought it went pretty well. It, is it did, smooth. yeah, absolutely. Also, on a side note, I know why Hesser asked about you know you uh, potentially getting roasted. He asked because he's always getting roasted. <laughs> <laughs> Every single tournament, whenever there's oh, yeah. a Chinese player, it's like who is who is this interpreter? He's doing a terrible they, job. They're that, unfairly hard on on <laughs> Hesser. I speak a decent amount of Chinese, and I think Hesser has done a really good job. Uh, especially in, I think, in the last tournament, I remember, or in the last two tournaments, maybe, I, I felt like um, there were no major mistakes, and I understood what the, I felt, felt like the translations were pretty accurate. So, from for one native Chinese speaker, I hope that uh, that is a little bit more reassuring. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only props you're gonna get, man. <laughs> no, you can you can you can make it a quote and, and you know hang it above that couch. <laughs> I don't know, you know, the players are pretty satisfied with my work as well. So Yeah, exactly. That's what this I is the most important like, part. As long as the players are happy with your work, <laughs> there's no problem whatsoever. Like you are doing a good job. That's another quote yeah, for you. I, you know, uh back in the days when we were able to go outside, right, and have a mm -hmm. uh on set tournament, then that was a bit more than just translating, right? I was just, you know, uh, basically walking them around the city, you know, helping them get some food and stuff like that. It's not that anymore, but it it used to be, it used to be not only translating, right, and preparing the clips. Yeah, hopefully it is gonna be like that at some point in the near future. Oh yeah. I think we all wanna just go back to our normal. We lives. all miss that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is going to be the last question because we are approaching the two-hour mark. Um, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about that, but we have to ask. So uh, you've been widely known, Shmiri, as somebody who has a very analytical approach that leads to roping. Did it bother you early on that people were like just accusing you of being a roper? Uh, no, I, I, it didn't, never really bothered me. I actually took it more as a compliment. Like, I think it's a good thing to take your time to think about your plays and look forward, look ahead, and try to plan ahead for the rest of the match. I think it's important. I think it's one of the reasons why uh, I, I am as strong of a player as I am. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't like the negative connotation that it comes with, um, because when people accuse someone of being a roper, it's often, like, 
implied that they don't have anything better to do, that they're not really like using the time to think and they're just roping for the sake of annoying you, and which is never the case for me. Um, but I, I'm, I'm happy to have a reputation for, for being analytical and, and taking my time to, to think out my place. And you actually like, embraced that, that, that roping connotation, like that roping link, because like, whenever somebody subs, you thank, you, you, you thank them for roping for this long. <laughs> for for joining the rope club, yeah, and and I should I don't say that, but maybe I should like roping for twenty months if they're a twenty month resub or something like that. Um, Hesser, do we have any other questions from chat? Yeah, we actually have one question about the draft. Uh, we can take it up. So uh, the question was, do you think that they will continue to do some draft balancing alongside every major like real patch? Uh, are there going to be some changes? I still wish there was going to be some sort of competitive side of draft, but it's probably in vain. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, draft, I, th I think they will continue upkeeping the draft mode um, as they introduce new cards. I mean, we, we saw that, right? Like, they released the draft mode, and then after they released the draft mode with Way of the Witcher, there were draft changes, and there were, like, um, you know, updates to the packages that you can potentially draft, and... I imagine they'll they'll keep up with that. Um, and as for a competitive draft mode, I think with drafts still being technically in beta, they might be waiting for a more stable version before thinking about that. I don't know if they have that in their plans, but it would be kind of cool to see. Um, in when I played Hearthstone, I was like almost exclusively an arena player in Hearthstone, and I like the fact that they that like they didn't really have. Uh, they didn't really have much competitive uh, leaderboards or anything for, for, for arena mode until later. But yeah. I think that would be cool. I think that would be cool as like an incentive to, for, for people who enjoy draft to, to play more and, and see how, how well they can do. All right. So if that was the last question, I think it's time for the shameless self-promotion. So before we get there, um, Shimiri, thanks for accepting our invite. Thanks for being for on the episode. And thanks for your insights. And now it's your time to shamelessly promote your own content and your own stream and your own social media. So go ahead. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for having me again. It was a pleasure. It was fun uh, talking to you guys. And yeah, uh, I stream uh, on Twitch. Uh, my channel is Shinmiri2, number two at the end. And as well as the same username on Twitter, if you want to follow me there. I usually stream on Twitch. Um, weekdays starting around 7 or 8 p.m. CET. And we've been, I mainly stream Gwent, but I've also, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, that we're going to be starting a variety game. We're going to be starting Dark Souls 3 pretty soon, in addition to playing some Gwent. And, and occasionally at night, I'll play some Apex Legends as well. Um, I don't know if it's, I might not be super friendly for a lot of you European viewers, but I really enjoy Apex as well. So. It's a fun time. So come hang out whenever you like. Right on. Villa. And b before, before I allow you to talk, uh, guys, I have to say, this has been the most we squeezed out of Villa like ever. He's never <laughs> talked this much on this podcast. <laughs> really appreciate it, man. So now go ahead. Yeah. Promote yourself. Uh, okay, so the, okay, how, how would I do this this time? Um, I... I, I, I I stream very consistently. <laughs> um, yeah, about once a month. 
So I would appreciate it if you go over to twitch.tv slash VLAKSK and you would follow and then hopefully <laughs> hopefully subscribe. I'm a poor man and I need the money. <laughs> um, you can also follow me on Twitter with the same name. Um, I, yeah, hopefully I'll uh, get your support on my adventures from, you know, pleb to hopefully a Gwent World Master. All right. And now, Hesser. Yep, uh, would be awesome, guys, if you followed me at uh, twitch.com slash Tavern. You can find me as well on Twitter. Always happy to talk about Gwent and other games as well. Posting some regular uh, content there, uh, info, and all the news about Gwent, cyberpunk-related stuff, and some news uh, generally about gaming. So, yeah, I'll see you there. Alrighty, um, I'm not gonna promote myself because you are already on my channel, we smart. Uh, so I'm only gonna remind you that um, this episode is going to be uploaded on a variety of other platforms like YouTube, Spotify, either tomorrow or Sunday, and that you can follow us on Twitter if you want to stay in touch off stream. And with that being said, Shimiri, Villa, Hesser, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for answering all the questions and providing you, providing us with your insights. And chat. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for asking questions and just chatting about Gwent. We'll see you guys next time. So once again, thanks everyone and see you later. Thanks. Bye. Thanks guys. See you. Bye.